Yeah, there you go. So as you can see, it's a very simple application, right? A citizen's going to text in either trash, or they're going to text in a sentence or question containing the word trash. For example, why did my trash not get picked up this morning? Or, you know, my trash got missed, right? And uh, our system is going to read that text from left to right. It's going to pick up on that keyword, and it's going to send them back a text with all the applicable information they need to know. Um, and that's kind of what drives our entire system. This specific feature that I was just showing you is what we call the find information feature. That is how citizens can find information to answer their questions and concerns that don't require any resolution by your staff. Now there are some other things you can do with TextMyGov as well. One of the ones that I wanted to focus on is reporting issues, which allows citizens to report you know, public works issues, animal control issues, um, zoning and uh, code violation issues and things like that. And then there's a receive alerts feature. So I'll walk you guys through those really quickly. Um, one second here. Cole, how does this picture over? Cole, does the does yes. the does the person texting have to be registered in the town, or is it is the number that we're texting to specifically the receiver? Yeah, that's a great question. Can you clarify when you say registered in town? What exactly do you mean by that? So in other words, all you know, all the town residents can text in. Like, I mean, I think this would be, be beneficial for like, because I just tried parking and it came up Coronado library, Libraries. That didn't work. It's just not set up for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. So um, to clarify that, you don't have to be registered as a member, you know, as a resident of Chief Right to text in, but we do get you a specific phone number for your municipality. Right. So every municipality for our service has a different phone number. The phone number that you guys just texted, I'll show you here, is just the number for our demo website. Gotcha. Um, and for you guys, we get you a local area code phone number, right? And that's what you use on all your advertising materials. That's what citizens will be texting. We don't want them to feel like they're texting some random services out of state, right? Because really, the ones that are owning this service and the ones that own all the data associated with this service is you guys. So we do get you a, a specific phone number and all the configurations for your town are specific to that phone number. So when residents text in, they're not going to be getting back random supplies. That is a good point though. Right. Any other questions uh, involving the phone number? Yeah, just, just uh, regarding your, uh, your example, say if uh, somebody wants to find out why the barbecue wasn't picked up this morning and if there isn't a one sure. response queued up, how is that rabbit again? Like, who, who actually, uh, if there's no one response available, just rally to yeah, we can absolutely configure that. So right now, you can see here on the dashboard, here I'll zoom in a little bit so it's uh, a little more visible, but on the dashboard for this side, which for you guys obviously would say instead of guest dashboard, it's a seat right. Down here, there's a module for recent unrecognized text. If you're, right? sharing, so somebody can, if you're sharing something, we're still seeing the let's get started slide. Oh, here we go. Can you see uh, the dashboard now? All good. Okay, perfect, thanks. So um, you can see here there's a module for recent unrecognized tasks, and that's going to include anything that's not configured in the system, right? So you can see here, you know, we've got somebody tried to text in property damage but spelled it wrong, or, um, you know, if somebody just texting something that's frankly not in your system, it's going to come, you're still going to be able to see this, and we can actually route it directly to an email for somebody uh, in Seabright. You can, you know, take a look at that and see if that's an issue that needs to be taken care of. Or what you can do is have somebody monitor this and, you know, log on every day and look at the unrecognized text and say, hey, we need to text this person back, right? And you can actually come into the system, and uh, I won't text this back because this is somebody else we did a demo for, but just as an example, you can actually reply to this person 
um, with whatever method you'd like. And um, you can hit this text box that'll say awaiting reply. And what that does is what that does is it'll say to the person you're sending the text to, please reply to this message. And then when they do text back, um, your email if it links to the text my web server will automatically be notified. Um, so you can take care of that issue. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thanks. Hey, Cole, just a quick question. Sure, so I may be going to get yeah. to this, but, but clearly if this is a read-only, right, you can get information from it. But if people want to use this system to report something or request something that's not read-only, somebody's got to be on the other side of that, responding to it. And then if you get inundated, you get people who get frustrated because they're not getting your information back. Is this intended, the way you're presenting it, to be read-only or to actually engage with people on the administration staff and do something in a prompt way? Both actually, and I'll show you exactly how. So um, the reporting side of our uh, feature is not read-only. So what will happen is, um, so let's say, you know what, you guys try texting potholes. I know you don't have any potholes in your family, of course, heaven forbid, but uh, just text in the word pothole and it'll actually give you a pretty good overview of how this feature works. Yeah. 
Absolutely, you can change that to whatever you want. We just have a generic one in our system for demonstrational purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't go, go back to my earlier, my earlier question. I think, uh, I'm not sure yeah. what the ratio is to like the ones that are successfully like, auto-replied versus ones that need to reply. So I would be surprised if there's a decent number of uh, unique questions that would need like the actual person to research and reply. So yeah, I think for it to work pretty effectively, it probably could wrap somebody. So there's like a time of yeah. response. 100%. That is something you can do, and I'll actually show you how that works right now. So I can see here somebody's just finished a possible reporting module, so I'll open up this conversation. Um, and as you can see, you know, kind of going through this, the way that this is handled, somebody needs to report a possible. They could even just text in instead of the single word possible, they could text, hey, there's a possible on my street, right, out front, uh, in front of my house. And it'll respond with what's the nearest address. Um, please provide the person's last name, uh, give me a description or upload an image, right? Okay, very nice. Um, and then once that's been done, it'll send back this response that says, hey, thank you for reporting. This is our protocol for fixing it, right? Our example here is just that it'll be addressed between, you know, these dates. Um, but then once that's been done, you can see this box down here that says notification sent. So, so this information is actually going to be condensed into an email or a short text message, and it's going to be sent over to anybody that's um, connected to this on the back end. So we've got this from other people in my office, but you can see we've got both phone numbers and emails in here. This information is going to be routed directly to them to be taken care of, right? So I don't know who handles public works for you, but obviously you might want to throw your email in here if it's a you know, possible public works issue, or if they're in the field often and can't access their email, you could put a you know work phone number in here and they get a text with all this information, right? And then on the administrative side, you're actually able to track that as well. You can uh, list the status of this, you know, any any possible conversations. We'll do this finish one down here. You can actually list this as a sign to public works. And then if you know public works people want to come into the back end here and actually search everything that's been assigned to them, they can go ahead and put that in the status box here, we'll search this. Yeah, and it'll come up with everything that's been assigned to public works. And then, if it's done, then they don't need to handle it anymore, right? They can come up here and mark it as complete, for example. And again, all of these status tools are completely um, customizable as well. So we'll give you some templates for these that you can use. But, you know, if you want them to have different steps that they can be on, you know, complete, open, needs to be completed within the next week or whatever, you can mark them as anything that you want to assign them to custom. Now, just to clarify, you said you said this system can actually be uh, connected to an email or text message as well, so we can assign. So as text as these texts come through, somebody else is notified in a, in a different system outside of this app. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, you, and you can assign any text uh, to that, right? So if you want to assign, for example somebody to get an email every time somebody sends in, you know, an unrecognized text that the system doesn't have programmed in, right? That can totally be done. And then you, you know, get an email notification that'll say, hey, this person texted in, you know, this phone number texted in, um, you know, hey, there's a rabbit dog on my street, and he helps, right? And then you can contact them and control and get that taken care of. Did that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Well, Cole, what other questions you guys have? Well, we have a we have a lengthy agenda. Is there any other questions? And maybe individually, if anybody wants to get to Cole, I have all his contact information. We can further further talk about it. Yeah, any last top questions for 
Yeah, I just call again. To me, this sounds like a very uh, capable system. I think we've got to be careful if we go down this path. You got to walk before you run. You can't put a system in place that we can't be immediately responsive to because it frustrates people. If there's a lot of information, a lot of information that can be gleaned from it in a read-only mode initially, that's great because people can learn a lot. But anytime you put a system like this in place, you got to commit to the resources necessary to be responsive. Otherwise, it backfires. So I look forward to speaking to you separately. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks for presenting today. Thank you. Thank you guys for your time. You have a good one. You too. Thank you, Ralph. Capital projects. Let me just add one thing. In the League of Municipality book that you guys have, this is Evesham that has a product similar to that, not, not TextMindGov. This is uh, GoGov. Um, so it's a good article. It talks about the same things he did. So other towns are moving in that direction. Uh, briefly, uh, construction was supposed to start this morning on the concrete out front here and on the concrete uh, over at the uh, municipal complex to repair those uh, th that'll finish up this project uh, once it's done uh, again the contractor was supposed to be here this morning uh, breaking up some concrete so you'll see that in the next week and over at the municipal complex where the water pit is that that work will be done in, in, in conjunction with this we're going to, I'm going to talk to them and see if they can accomplish that. It's, uh, I don't know that it has the, the, the angle for handicap use, but we don't have to mark it as handicap use. And uh, if I'm not here, get to Frank, he's monitoring the program. That's all I have on that at this point. We're going to talk about some other capital projects as part of the agenda. All right. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and then I know Joe, I spoke to you yesterday and Erwin and our engineer, you guys are working on the bulkhead work? Yes, yes, so I'll get on that. Yes, I'll give a quick update on that. So uh, the administration committee, one of our top priorities is ordinance enforcement and bulkhead effectiveness is probably at the very top of our list. In our view, it's probably one of the most significant things we need to do in town to benefit the residents of the town and the long-term resilience of the town. So there's a couple things that have been accomplished already on this step. One was to develop a draft ordinance for the council to look at and ultimately approve, which would put in place a requirement for the repair or replacement of bulkheads if they needed work. That has been done. Uh, we have a draft of an updated version that's been updated to reflect uh, recent conditions about supply chain and everything else, giving people more time to react if required. So that is standing by and ready to go. The second thing that we've accomplished also is CME Engineering did an assessment of all the bulkheads in town from north to south to get an understanding how many are there, what are the ones that are in need of repair, and what would they recommend are the ones that we would, we would go forward with for an improvement project. So where that puts us now is on to three primary actions, which I've briefed at prior council meetings, and we're going to provide a report on those today with the support of people that are with us. Um, the first thing is Greg is going to give us a detailed review of the bulkhead uh, improvement cost assessment. He's put a lot of work into identifying which one of the ones need to be replaced, uh, and what he estimates that would cost. Um, the second thing is Mike Baskin took a look at the uh, financial model and a potential funding approach on how we would deal with this going forward. Mike's not here today. He's given that information to Joe. So Joe's going to give us an update on that. And Roger, who uh, certainly put together the original ordinance, will give us a view holistically of this thing from a legal and implementation perspective on the way forward. 
So just a, sort of some, some of the basic assumptions that went into this is, number one is to identify the cost of the borough bulkheads because we want to make sure if we're going to require this of our residents, we're going to walk, talk, and do it ourselves, and we have three bulkheads that require replacement in town, so Greg will go through that. The second thing is only estimate the cost of those that need replacement. There are those that need repair on the list, but the view is that those repairs can be done fairly modestly by the homeowner, and it doesn't require full replacement, which is a fairly expensive proposition. So the ones that need minor repair, we'll call it, we'll move off to the side. And the last ground rule is remove the cost for those that are otherwise going to be repaired by themselves naturally. So two examples of that is the Haven project, which is under review and is looking forward to get fo move forward, is as part of that development going to put in over 700 foot of bulkhead themselves, and that's a requirement as part of that project. We would not include that in the estimate of what it would take for the town to do it. Another example is those of you familiar with Angle, which is now the Edgewater Marina, uh, is in fact putting in 304 feet of bulkhead themselves as part of their improvement project, so we wouldn't be responsible for doing that as well. So when you take all of those and you distill it down, there's a number that we see as critically important to protect the town, make it more resilient, protect property values, and improve the quality of life uh, for the town going forward. So I'll talk about next steps after that, after we get inputs from the various folks. So Greg, if you don't mind, we'll turn it over to you first to give us an update sort of on the assessment of cost of implementation. Okay, I think a little summary report is everyone has uh, kind of briefly brought The one thing that we did as a result of the previous council meeting workshop meeting, we set up the workshop meeting, and Councilman Bursall, Councilman Beaver, and I, and uh, I forget who else was there. Booker, too. Um, yeah, Councilman Booker. We went through and kind of tried to prioritize things because there was three options of bulkheads. There were, we had the steel replacement, we had the vinyl replacement, and we had the timber. In the CME report, there are various types of bulkheads existing that are in damage or in failure. So what we did is to kind of equalize everything out and, and trying to figure out how we would go about doing this. It was determined at the work at the breakout meeting that the best thing to do was offer one option to everybody, which we came up with vinyl because one was the cost that was made, the main driving force on that, because steel is twice as much as the vinyl is. And what we also had to do was assume that everybody in the report may want to switch to vinyl. They may, a lot of them have timber that is in a state of disrepair or decay. They might not want to come into this. So we left them in the report, even though they may just choose to just fix a small section or two sections, because it's still cheaper than going to complete replacement of vinyl. So that's kind of how we started everything with my report was, we, we assumed that we broke the town into three sections from a cost point of view and a priority and a vulnerability point of view. And then we broke it down into the types of materials. So what we ended up with is we ended up with the northern section, which is everything north of the Rumson Bridge, the downtown section, which is from Rumson Bridge to Osborne Avenue, and then the southern section from Osborne to the southern border. And then we also said we're going to stick with vinyl. So that's kind of where all the costs come from. So in breaking down all the properties identified in the previous report, the north section had nine identified properties that were in need of repair or replacement. <clears throat> and that came up to, if you replace it all with vinyl, comes up with $1.37 million. If you come in the downtown section, came up with 12 identified properties, and that excludes, well, that actually includes the Haven property, which we do take out of the cost that are shown there. But if it's 12 properties, uh, six of the properties in the townhome development were removed. And we also had, um, we had two uh, <coughs> borough right-of-ways into the streets that bulkheads had to be replaced. 
and in the southern section we had uh, 12 properties and one borough right away. So the cost for the northern section is 1.37, the middle section, the downtown section, excluding the Haven project, is 1.44 million, and the southern section 1.22. So if you further break that down, the total cost of the 28 bulkheads that were identified in the project was 3.78 million to replace and 245,000 through the three borough right-of-ways, all in vinyl, for a total estimated cost of 403, or 4.03 million. Uh, one of the things we kind of looked at is, you know, the, the vulnerability of the town is most vulnerable at the downtown section. Um, so we did this replacement along the ball because of the private developer Haven also comes into play because they're going to be getting started on theirs. So kind of any piece of the piano keys that are left out still leaves you vulnerable. So that's kind of what we looked at is you have to kind of do it all or none because it doesn't do give you any benefit. So it's a major step forward, but to reduce the risk of flood risk and potential of flood, you kind of have to do the entire thing. So the one thing that we didn't account for, we don't know how that's going to address in a further way and further fallout of this, is those people who do not want to get into the program choose to replace it themselves. I did not analyze if any of their bulkheads are up to the 100-year level, which is where we would recommend these go. Maybe, we have to get into that, maybe plus two actually. So we have to evaluate the height of those, but also we don't know how we would enforce people to one, replace their bulkhead is what the ordinance required, but they would have to lift also to give us this protection. So that's going to kind of be the next phase. We're going to have to get into the individual analysis of each one of these properties to find out where the height and the cost would be associated with those. And then we have the problem with the people who don't want to get in and fix it themselves, how do we enforce that they fix it and raise it at the same time? So there's still a couple of wild cards out there, but this kind of gives you the, if we had to replace everybody that's on the list that produces some vulnerability in town, that's what the cost would be overall. Which were the two uh, borough right-of-ways downtown, I know? I uh, think we have three of them. Um, I think they're on top of, uh, one is Embry Place, which is in the southern section, and then we have River Street and Peninsula Avenue. Okay. Okay. Thank. Well, no, wait. River Street has no, no, no. River Street doesn't. Which no, wait. River Street has the new bulkhead. It, it doesn't. I believe one of them does. Was Not in front of the pump station. station. Huh? The pump oh, by the pump station. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. There are a couple that have that have been replaced, but I don't think it's the one we identified. Right. 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 Okay. So, thank you. Greg, anything else? Okay. I just want to move us along here. So obviously, this is a very complex undertaking. Right, very complex, and it's, it's got a lot of intertwines of how we would make this happen. Remember that the ordinance is written in such a way, which we have not re-released yet, that uh, they have 90 days roughly to put a, a homeowner, 90 days to put a plan together. Then there's a period of time half the permitting. Then they have to show progress in getting a contract, and then they have to get it completed in a certain period of time. Included in that also is some pretty hefty fines if people did not do those things. Some people may not want to be part of what Joe's about to explain in an assessment program. Some people will say, there's no way I can afford doing this myself in a short period of time. So an assessment program is a good one because it gets paid over a period of time. So what we're trying to do is provide with this the flexibility that people can undertake the project themselves if they want. And if they don't, and they don't want to be part of the town program, then they're subject to the fines that are in the ordinance. And it's pretty stiff and painful. So, I mean, while this is difficult for a homeowner, it's all about the protection of all the residents in the entire town. And what we ultimately want to do is come up with an approach to fund this that's fair, equitable, and executable. So, Joe, over to you on the finance side. Sure. Uh, I'll do both parts of that, the finance and the uh, appraising uh, aspect of it. 
as Roger talked to us a, a few weeks ago about this, there's a process where we can do a, a, what's called an assessment ordinance, where we could bond the money and the, the residents could pay uh, annually a fee equal to the cost of the bonding and um, issuance cost in the, uh, in the notes. Um, one, uh, but then the, the assessment part of this the, appraisal, the assessment and appraisal part of this, the benefit, as Roger explained it, and Roger, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we can only assess them for the benefit to the property of the, uh, of, of the bulkhead, which our appraiser doesn't know that it's gonna be equal, which means that there may be some responsibility on the borough. Um, there, is a, there, there is the positive side of that, that it is a, a resiliency kind of thing, but we'd have to take it at least at this point, without appraising any of them, uh, make that assumption that there may be some cost borne upon uh, uh, the borough itself if the appraisal does not come out to the cost of what it costs for the linear feet on that property. So if it's $100,000 and the appraiser comes in at, well, it's only a $90,000 benefit to the property, uh, that $10,000 will be uh, borne by we eat it. the borough. Um, I don't know if there's any other way we can carve out an ordinance uh, for them to participate in. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to hit Roger Coldwood, but maybe there's another avenue we could is do. There, is there any way we can, if a homeowner wants to be part of the assessment program, is there a way that we can analyze the property before and after, figure out what the assessed value is, and then get to that like you know, all right, what the benefits of the bulkhead are going to be uh, when we assess the property, it's going to be this be much. And this this is your limit. So you know, based on that, this is the limit. This is as much as we're going to put in the assessed value thing. If it comes to anything more than that, that's your responsibility, and you have to pay for it. So there's an upfront cost. There may be an upfront cost, and then the rest of it they can pay out over time. I think that's that's the hybrid kind of that Joe's talking about. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Uh, that, that would sort of be a hybrid between a local assessment and a new position. The, the, the interesting question here is, now that we have some numbers, it kind of gives us more of a, uh, you know, a real basis for the appraiser to look at. And we could probably start by looking at just pick some random properties. But um, the, the other question, I think, and, and we discussed this when we had our, our conference call, the other question is, if, if you look at this as a, you know, borough-wide benefit at the end of the day, um, it might be difficult to operate a hybrid to ensure that you're going to get the benefit that you're looking for. Um, oh no, I can I definitely, I definitely know that's a lot different. More so, difficult so the question, yeah, the question is, if, you know, does an opt-in, opt-in a local assessment program make sense from a practical point of view? Does it make sense from an ultimate point of view? And then can we can we work it legally? I'm not. Not quite sure of those answers, but part of it is, you know, if if the benefit comes from the totality of the project, then uh, then maybe the local assessment option is the only option that makes sense, rather than some sort of a hybrid. I mean, the the, the, the big thing about the full assessment pro project that I have an, an issue with is that there are some property owners that are going to make out like gangbusters and some that are just, you know, that are going to break even or what, what, have, what, what have you. So there's some properties where the bulkhead is so far gone that 
in order to replace it, it's going to be quite costly, and chances are it's, we're not going to recoup that money. And it may be a lot worse than ten thousand dollars. It could be fifty to a hundred thousand dollars worth of damage on the town. We'll have town. to get into those. I mean, that's certainly. And 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 the appraiser that I spoke to doesn't have the benefit of this. That yeah. I'll get it to him today. The second point of that, uh, councilman and, and mayor, uh, we talked about the difference between timber and vinyl. There may be people that say, "Hey, I could do it a lot cheaper if I do it timber." But Mike represented that because of the useful life of uh, necessary for a bond, we really can't go with timber replacement, if you recall at our meeting. Yeah. So it's it's a vinyl product. It, you either get vinyl, uh, you know, or, or you're on your own. Now, if we have a homeowner or a business that says, I don't want to be part of the program, I want to take responsibility, and I'm going to replace my bulkhead, I don't think we can tell them, you can't use steel. You have to use vinyl. Correct. As long as they follow through and complete it, that's what we're after. Exactly. Yeah. They'd also, they'd also be out of the prevailing wage requirement, probably. Yeah. Now, now the reality of what you just said, not to belabor this too much, is I'm just going to make some numbers up. Okay. Four million dollars would effectively do the whole thing. <coughs> effectively. With vinyl bulkheads. Um, that's with a forty percent cushion factor built on top of it, right? Because we wanted to make sure we didn't come into the council with a number that we were going to go, oh man, we didn't count that, right? We didn't know that. Let's just use four million as a number. If the assessment number, and again, I'm making up another number, is 75%, that means one of the four million could potentially be the town's responsibility to cover. If you bond that over a 10-year period, right, that's $100,000 a year. If you ask the council the question, would you be willing to pay $100,000 a year of municipal tax to greatly improve the resilience of this town against future storms with a bulkhead of high integrity that we have confidence in, my sense is the town would probably say yes. That's something we're going to obviously have to vote on. But the goal here is to kind of get it like this so we have a sense of what are we dealing with. And I think Greg's work that shows what the number is and the assessment work that we're going to have to do to figure out some will be up, some will be down, but it'll be somewhere in between. And then we have to understand the legalities on moving forward to make sure we can do this. And some people will opt out. Some will say, wait a minute, this is pretty good because the town's paying for 25% of my bulkhead. Prevailing wage, I look at the both of them. But there can be a real benefit for the homeowner here as well. And it does take a little bit of time. So just as we all know, a bond ordinance requires an introduction, a second reading, and public hearing. We're talking about probably a, a, a 45 to, to you know 60 day process just to get funding in place, not to mention the, the, the additional work we have to do. So if you put that into perspective, you know, we have a couple, three months of work to do uh, to get this in, in, in place before we even, uh, you know, release it. So, uh, uh, so, so really that's, that's our part on the funding. Okay, and, and to Erwin's point, uh, at some point we're going to have to, you know, there's so much to analyze here, but on the flip side, we have to get it done in our lifetime. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I just had these projects go. You know, you're saying there are a lot of things to microanalyze in every project book, but at some point, we're going to actually make it happen. We're exactly. going to we're gonna have to bite the bullet. And, and last, we did look at some grants that are available for, for, for this, for resiliency and whatnot. Um, there are some available, however, they all do come with, uh, they're federally funded, they come with the requirement that public have access, and uh, we went down that road before, if you recall, with our bulkhead ordinance, um, with the ap grant application years ago when we, we applied that it will require public access, and we may get a lot of pushback from that, even though there's grants for it. Uh, that depends on you folks if we want to 
you know, move forward on exploring that in greater detail. But Excellent. all the ones we've talked about do require public access. Thank you. Yep. Okay, Roger, over to you for your perspective. I think Erwin uh, we pretty much covered it. I think this gives us the basis now to sit down with the appraiser and sort of, I think what the council is going to want to know in terms of an assessment program first is, you know, what's the potential downside in terms of what the borrower absorbs? Yes. Uh, so we know that up front. Um, and you can evaluate that on, as to whether that matches the benefit that the borough is getting from that. So now that we have some real numbers uh, from Greg, I think we can kind of talk to the appraiser and try to figure out you know, how that would look if we did this as a total assessment program. Um, I'll take a look at the issue of opt-in, opt-out, uh, and how that would work both from a uh, funding perspective, bonding perspective, and the legal perspective, because there's several issues there. Um, because it is going to be a you know a bonded improvement, there are going to be certain uh, questions that, that we're going to have to answer before we go out to the market. So uh, I'll take a look at that, and um, while we're we'll looking at the appraisals, look at the numbers, I'll look at the legal aspect, and we'll put them together come back with some options. Okay, Roger, thanks. So just a couple points, and then any questions or suggestions. So, um, you know, I started with, in my view, this is one of the most significant things we can do to improve the quality of the town. We, we don't want to be the town on TV all the time when there's a flood, right? Obviously, this has to be tied to effective check valving that takes place and the other things that we're doing in town, right, to make sure we don't have water coming in. One of the things that Greg did mention, which I think is phenomenal, is if we actually implement this, and we are likely to be in a position that our risk flood rating would be modified in a positive way which means that our residents who are paying flood insurance in town could potentially individually and collectively see a benefit on flood insurance as a result of this improvement. And the thing I keep stressing with Greg is, are you confident that if we do this, we just don't have a dam that's got a hole somewhere else, right? That we're confident it's gonna fundamentally change the flood risk in this town and, 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 and the lives of our residents. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Greg. You're the expert. What, are you, what is I your? I think it's the words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I mentioned if everybody, if everybody's in, and we get all the plugs filled, it will work. Well, there are there are a few spots that you know where the bulkhead is up to par, mm -hmm. that there are still cracks in the dam, um, like Beach Street for one. We have the you know the public right of way there. That wall was done, but the properties on either side put in their bulkhead. But they never tied them together. Tied, together, tied them together. So we have like that little, you know, water finds a way, and they come right, right around the, two, the between the two cracks. So though, though there's issues like that that will have to be addressed and taken care of. Yeah. Um, you know. My biggest fear in the program, though, is, is those those issues are getting more easily resolved than the property owner who has a bulkhead that let's say it's only needs like a 10% repair, and but it's low. He repairs it because that's what's identified, but he doesn't raise it. There's where I'm talking about the piano key right. would be missing in this section. So somehow we have to address how we make everybody come up to the elevation we need, especially the downtown area. Well, downtown, yeah, that was our original main area focus. So we're doing the whole town straight, but that was, you know, this this phase is actually the final phase of what it's been a long road, but this really has been the works for probably 13 or 14 years. And back when we started lobbying and the Army Corps put together a little bathtub plan for downtown. So we're kind of following that at a lower level, but still the whole idea is like that's why we kind of did it incrementally with certain street ends or the borough owned street ends and then we did uh, um, you know at the time we got criticized by some people because it's sort of like a you know a half measure. 
or a quarter measure to get things done, but this is actually the, this is the end game of incremental improvements over the years. So, you know, like focusing on the downtown, that's why one thing that is continuous, I do see why the theory works, you know, it should, it should work. But isn't in everybody downtown has felt the pain more than individual property owners have in the north and south half. Right. So I think downtown is easier to sell. Because if everybody goes yeah. along, we get that all raised up to the most of the You mentioned like, you know, you know, them fixing it but then not bringing it up to par. Isn't the bringing it up to par part of what we're making sure that gets done? In our program we are, but for those that opt out, I don't we, I don't know how that's being addressed right now in our ordinance. Say somebody comes up and says, I'm going to go here. Some people will come in to have timber, they realize it's only going to last so much longer, and they'll say, hey, it's a great idea to upgrade to vinyl. And, you know, the fact I get to pay for it over five years is a much better benefit than paying a lump sum up front. So they'll, they'll opt in. But you'll have the guy that'll say, it's only cost me $5,000 to fix my little timber, you know, piece of sheeting that's missing. And I don't care that it's not high. He's the guy that I'm worried about. So well, the, one, the, the one that, the one that, come, that immediately pops to mind in that regard is the waterways because that is the bulkhead where it is is structurally sound but it is at the high tide line so you know that has to come up and that has one of the i mean and that's that, that's an obvious flaw you know that's an obvious problem um but that's one of the things that like that we have to make ensure that that comes up okay so we're gonna we have a lot of incremental steps we've got to go through nuances like we just said, right? The, the thing we wanted to get out of this session is make you aware of the progress that's been made and just get an assessment, a sense from the council and mayor of whether or not there are any objections to proceeding with this, any particular concerns you'd like us to focus on, because we plan to press on, and to your point, Mayor, we gotta go do something, we gotta implement this in over time. And we're trying to do it as least painful to the residents as possible, take advantage of a program that is equitable and fair and protects everybody's town. So, Anybody have any, I don't want to take too much time on this. Any no. questions or concerns? Good progress. No, thank you. Great, thanks. Roger, Joe, thank you very Great, much. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. All right. All right, we are on to our public safety update. I see both our chiefs are here. Chief Friedman, I think. Hey, Charlie, could you grab Jack? Yeah. All right, Chief Murphy's up first. Good morning, Chad. Good morning. Um, Month of May is actually a little bit for us. Thank you. <laughs> 36, uh, 36 calls per month. That puts us uh, at 173 calls for the year uh, in comparison, same timeline. We're at 145 for next year. So it's kind of shaping up to be what we feel is going to be business season. Um, last week, we sent three more guys, actually two firefighters and a member of Ocean Rescue through the Swiftwater uh, training. It's a, it's a two week process. I was only able to send three guys and I had to cut two guys out because I had to reallocate some of that money to the fire trucks. Um, so we were only able to send three instead of five that were finally sent. That brings us up to 25 people, including the one lifeguard. Uh, certified for Swiftwater, and just to remind that Swiftwater is what we're required to have by state to perform any kind of rescue in the um, So we're up to 25 uh, members with that, with that training certification, which we had to annually re up, which we do in the, in the river at the bridge. I believe Councilman Beaver joined us last year when we did that. Which we're doing at uh, June 25th, which is not the Saturday next Saturday. In addition to that, the preventative maintenance for all the trucks is going to start next Monday, and 
mandatory training, or I'm sorry, testing, where we have to test all the hoses and the pumps and the ladders. Uh, that's all going to take place over the course of next week. Thanks, Chief. Cool. Hey, Greg. Good morning. I was hoping John Harris could be back. He'll be back in a minute. But um, we've been extremely busy with disorderly persons, assaults, DWIs, warrants, a ton of parking violations, a ton of moving violations, inappropriate and lewd behavior. Uh, amongst other things, missing persons, found persons, you name it, it's been summer so far. Another um, June. Another <laughs> summer at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, some inappropriate behavior, um, to say the least. Uh, we had a firework meeting last week. We're going forward first, so everything is falling into place. If anybody has any questions, Councilman Keeler's with us at the firework meeting, and um, we're doing it. So. Um, everybody was there, uh, Tom Hagee, the people shooting the fireworks, Sandy Moranza, it's doing good. I was at the bridge meeting last week with Pearsons, uh, looking at their progress. I don't think any time was going on, they're moving forward. The Dunkin' Donuts is gone. You've heard the pile driving every single day. <laughs> when it comes to the parking tickets, it, the, all the numbers are in, I think we're somewhere between about 400 to 500 parking tickets, give or take. I don't have all the tickets in because all my parking people have their ticket books and the court, they come up and then the court date. So that's a pretty good amount. I know we've been writing a ton of tickets. I don't have the numbers with me. That usually takes a few more weeks to get in. Uh, Earl Asphalt and the water company finished up the job last night. So that 16-inch main is done for now. The water will be turned on and off anymore because when they work at night time, they'll shut the water off, test the pressure, turn it back on, turn it back off, turn it back on. They are supposed to be back in September. That main is going all the way to Long Ranch. Okay. And they're going to clean up that section of the parking lot for us, move their equipment, <coughs> drop some gravel, and check the course. And now, do they have to go anywhere north of the bridge? They have this few years. They have to go north and they have to go all the way to Long Ranch. But I think the project is going to go south first. That's what it seems like. Um, One they do other than that, we sure. are extremely busy. I mean, guys, that's why they're doing there this. Foot on bicycles everywhere. Part of our manpower, we pretty much moved up to the nighttime. We're flying at nighttime. We just need more people. The reason they did this is because they were notified by the state that they were going to It's nighttime where we need the extra manpower now. So, other than that, everything's good. Sounds good, Chief. Thanks. Do you have any questions for either Chief? Thank you, Chiefs. All right, thanks, John. And John Harris will be back. He has the numbers for the kiosks and the parking. I thought he'd be back by now. He did it this morning. So he comes back. Any, um, any feel on how well the $125 resident parking fines are working? You know what? We're still writing the tickets. Um, and it could be. I have a couple of really great parking people in the daytime that push like everybody in ticket. I know. <laughs> I know. We got one. <laughs> they're writing everybody in ticket. So I think, you know, on some of our busiest weekends, they're still parking there. They're going to chance it. We're writing the tickets. Um, I'll, we'll find out at the end of the year. We'll find out probably at the end of September how we really do. I think your signage is excellent that you put in through town. It, it, you have to see it, right, if, if you're there. And I think as was said many times, what you've done is either going to 
change behavior in a positive direction, and if it doesn't, more revenue. Yeah, and, and it's, it seems to be working. I have some great parking people this year. They just, they're great. So they're doing a good job. I know the cones, I wish I had people like those cones, and we've got some new ones coming, and I think that's the cones. So they're You've saved me from getting run over a couple times. Have you said anything to you about the work that we have to do? Absolutely not. There was, the gas company's out there. The gas company's been up after a few times. When they move that main along the gas line itself, but just to monitor so they don't hit the gas lines. Other than that, they still work on it. Thanks, Angie. Yeah, thanks again. Just your two brief updates, as always. Thanks. I mean, the number of, especially summertime, between police, fire, and first aid, how many calls and issues you deal with on a monthly basis. Pretty amazing. And most of it goes under the radar. It, so it we has really appreciate under the radar, everything. But we, are, <coughs> we have a lot going on right now. Some investigations, so we're looking at some. Thanks. All right, great. All right, so we are on to uh, Woody's. I think we're at the front, the tail end of this uh, patio extension uh, purchase. So, Joe, do you have the? Uh, uh, Greg, Greg really is handling this and has been meeting with their uh, their people. Greg, can you explain the uh, diagram and let's make sure it meets council's uh, direction? Okay. So, I'm talking to the uh, to Woody's attorney. Uh, one of the problems that I had with the original plan is they wanted to leave our walkway through their dining room, which is crazy because anybody coming along on a busy night in the restaurant, they, nobody knows there's a walkway through there. Right. So what I recommend <coughs> is that if we're going to sell them anything, is we sell them the first 12 feet, which is shown in the diagram in red. We keep the outside four feet, and that whole area, the blue and the red, would be a raised concrete platform protected by a curb on the outside of it. And then as you came down through the north, there would be a handicap ramp off of the blue, down back onto the parking surface, and everything you see there in gold will be striped as a walkway. So that way we get everybody to the knowledge that that is a walkway to the beach, and we, would, we could sign both sides of public access to the beach, and then we would tie in at the, the, the southern, and I guess the western end of that gold area, into the existing sidewalk. So it keeps everybody out of the parking lot, which is what's happening now, people coming up. Friday, Saturday, when it's busy, everybody's walking through the park lot to go north across this property. And they're open to that, right? Uh, right. This, yeah, this was like agreed to by their attorney, right. or Woody's attorney. Did you, did you just, did we just add two feet to the extension? Uh, did, did we go from eight to four feet? No, I believe there was an 11.9 feet. That was the total envision before? No, I think the, the total before was just under 15, just under 16. I'll double check that, but I think there, because their property their property actually came out a bit from the building yeah and then our sidewalk and then this new section so that new section was eight feet plus our four feet foot sidewalk okay. and then there was a chunk the thing i just want to make sure of is that by this picture we're not further encroaching what we previously discussed because the chief reviewed <coughs> this and believed that there was sufficient backup parking for somebody in that lot not to endanger somebody on the sidewalk Right. So this drawing does not come further into the parking lot than we previously reviewed. No, that twenty that twenty six point nine feet is the distance from the end of the parking area to where their barrels are right now that isolate their dining area. So the driveway will be the same. And actually, the one other thing I forgot to mention is to show that which I, I recommend that we hash out space six hundred one. Yeah. Because with the walkway behind it, we don't want people backing into a a paint strike walkway from a safety issue. I would leave it there to be an emergency turnaround for anybody who gets caught in a turnaround area, but I don't think we want dedicated parking that backing into the sidewalk area. Not okay. even a motorcycle spot? I guess you could get yeah, that might be a, a good idea. Not a bad idea at all. Yeah. 
That's a good spot. Yeah, good yeah. idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get one eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I think every I think everybody's gonna be getting one with the gas prices. Yeah. No, that would be a fine idea though, because like okay. a car is a problem. A motorcycle is fine. Should the motorcycle have to pay for parking? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So. Um, yeah, but you can fit three motorcycles. In Four, actually. <laughs> Some of the conditions. Let's see if we got the conditions. One is that uh, that that area, if sold, will not be enclosed or used for for addition to the business. That, up, yeah. that was one of the conditions. Just an uh, and, and cannot be built upon at all. So we extending the building. We need that as a deed restriction. Um, and two, we said no permanent structures, but the the picture that that. Uh, Chris gave us was something similar to our awnings where where it's automatic but you do have some permanent poles there. We're okay with that? I have no issues. Okay. I think we should spell out very precisely what you mean by awning and study it. You can build off on that and end up with something you never intended to have Well that's why that's that's where the enclosed section and like, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have a covered, like Tommy's has that covered uh, awning up front, but there's no, like, enclosure there, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll make sure it's delivered back so that uh, it can't be anything from it. It can't yeah. be expanded. This is so touched on the columns you have to put in, and, uh, they have to be substantial enough that the wind doesn't Yeah. Well, that's why we're letting them attach, even though it's a temporary or it's removable. Uh, it's, it's attached, removable. but not you know yeah. Yeah, part of the actual. It can be detached itself. if they need to, like a big storm, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be removed easily. So, uh, so anything. What's outstanding now? Thanks, Greg. Again. Um, so we have the negotiation of the financial awning location walkway. What think, else is outstanding? Th anything? No, but I think this requires a, a subdivision. Does it not? He has to go to the planning board. Yes. So we may as well come up with some sort of contractual agreement so he can proceed yeah, to the president. Thank you. That's, That's it. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Thank you, gentlemen. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, just a discussion on liquor license renewals. I know we're going to carry part of this over to executive session, or unless you were. Uh, well, go ahead, Chris. Well, it's, I gave you copies of all the um, renewals that have special conditions. Um, to review them, see if you want to lift anything, or one of the things, things. One of the things I, I would like to add, given the fact, and especially coming segueing off of Woody's, is that almost every one of our liquor licenses that has something says something about music after 10 p.m. I think that should be included in Woody's as well. It's not right now it's not currently included so outdoor music after 10 p.m. like Rory's has it Tommy's has it oh you mean with the front extension it might it yeah because they might have speakers underneath there and have well no not necessarily that but it's, it's just amplified music whether they have because right now they like I walk past there at 11 o'clock at night and they still got the music on um, I, I don't I don't you know I don't personally have a problem with that but I'm sure that some of the neighbors you know because you, you can hear it across the street like I like I can I can hear it on the east side of Ocean Avenue when I'm walking my dogs at night. So yeah, and I think it's fine. But I think historically it's always been added if there's been an issue at that establishment. So you know it's usually reactive. But we also have a noise. Yeah, there's a, like anyway. I said. I, it, 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 but we all know that a lot of times people don't call to complain unless it's you know re they're really being a problem. Sure. But 
you know, I'm sure you know, we have it on every on, on almost all of our other uh, establishments in town. So I think it'd be you know just carry it right over, especially with this uh, you know we're selling them this property. So. So Yes, no. Does that tie to the liquor license? Or to it's tied to the liquor not license. Not to the agreement condition. for this property. Yeah, no, it's conditional on the liquor license. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like if you look, uh, do you have your do you have the liquor licenses here? Yeah. Was Woody's one of them? No, they're not. I was going to say, it wasn't even on the list yeah. for our review. So like Rory, Rory's has one. Rory's has it. I know Rory's has one. Rory's has yeah, no yeah, one that's because Rory's Rory's the yeah, yeah. Rory's yeah. Yeah. played in the court of the Exactly. That's what I remember. It's only gross. So are you saying? No, Tommy's had it too. Tommy's had a lot more. Tommy's had about six of them. Because, well, like I said, it's usually in the backyard. It's usually reactive to having calls in the past and so forth. That's why, even though there's a noise ordinance in place, it was still—it's like a redundancy. Just kind of like highlighting. Have you ever gotten any calls forty? Well, I, I, as a citizen, I'm complaining. Kevin, are you saying the noise has gotten to from Woody's? It has dog. not stopped. <laughs> are you saying when Woody's comes up for renewal, we should include it? Yeah. Okay, because it's not up for renewal now, right? Yeah, Did they it? all are. They all. She only she only included the ones that have special conditions. I got you. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. And I think I think Woody should have also have this special condition. Okay, fair enough. They all come up. It's all. Annual. Oh, they all at the same time. Same time. Yeah. Everything. Okay. Anything I, for any other license? I. Anybody, Jack? No. All right, so uh, we'll carry, and I said we'll carry the rest to uh, executive session. Um, hey, Joe, under uh, road programs, you said Greg will speak to this also. The, uh, Greg, the and Dave, uh, Greg and Dave uh, went, went through uh, two things. One, we have two outstanding um, uh, road programs that we need to award. We certainly need to award the, uh, the, the FY 2021 uh, program. But we have money in place for both. We need to award it. We have uh, some proposals from the contractor, so we need to uh, get moving on those. In addition to that, uh, we have the 2023 road program application that is due in September, Greg? Yeah, August. August. So Greg and Dave uh, Barley went through our current list of, uh, of roads that need improvement. and. The ones you think we should apply for are? Um, well, the ones, that, the ones I think they're in worse shape are right down here in downtown area, which is uh, Surf Street and a couple others adjoining that. But the gas company just had filed for a road permit to replace the gas main on all those streets in there. So that would be dovetailed perfect for next year. So it's actually nice that we didn't go first and they came after us, mm -hmm. kind of what's happening on some other streets. Mm -hmm. So the next set that I think is due is Island View Way and a couple of the stub streets off of that. I haven't gotten into the financing of how long the way is pretty long, but I think we can do at least, uh, well, I'll run the numbers if we can do the whole thing plus the two stub streets off it. That's what I'd like to do for the program this year. Okay. And what is, it, what is the gas main getting done? They're supposedly, they've got the roadway permit, they're going to probably do it in the fall. Just okay. After summer. So we, it, it wouldn't be beneficial for us to include the, the downtown ones on 2023 then? No, after? because in 2023, technically, you could start this program this fall. Oh, okay, so gotcha. It's in 2024 because if they do their work next uh, through the winter time, we don't want to try to dovetail it before summer because that just puts too much crunch right, right, right. on us. So I'd recommend we do it next fall. Okay, understood. Thank you. We probably That's want true. this trench to settle a little bit. Yeah, too. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just for housekeeping, uh, Councilman Booker is online and in attendance. Yeah, he sent me a text. I just realized he's up there. 
All right, Jack, I think you're up next. You want to discuss the uh, right away for uh, crosswalks and the splash pad? Yes, we're talking uh, up at, we're focusing on one, just to get a temper. And this is the one at uh, Shrewsbury Way. And the uh, uh, Richard worked with me on this, so I worked with him to um, develop an easement agreement that, um, well, I'm surprising to all of us that it, there was no such agreement in the road program when those crosswalks went in. DOT uh, approvals for the getting across Ocean Avenue, and there were easements in place concerning the splash pad. But the pathway between Ocean Avenue and the splash pad, um, no formal agreement at all. Um, so it was just put in. And the walkway itself was pretty much a pathway created by foot traffic. There was no set concrete or knockoff or anything like that. So this was an opportunity we had here to uh, formalize it and uh, incorporate an easement. And then when that is done, our insurance company, the JIF, will provide co-insurance for the property owner and the borough if um, someone trips and like that. And that will be valid unless somebody, we used the term, does something stupid, somebody digs the ditch and doesn't tell us or uh, put some steel object or something there, then that, that, that changes the, uh, the liability factor. But just for your standard usage, walking back and forth or using the bike, Walking with your, your pet dog or whatever, our uh, insurance company will provide co-insurance for both us and the property owner if we get the uh, if we know the, uh, the agreement. So uh, Richard worked on the uh, template you saw it in there. Uh, if you have any uh, questions about the specifics or if you want to add something or delete something, now would be the time to do that. Otherwise. We formalize and then we can uh, present that to the uh, property owners. Now, uh, and, uh, I'll just pull this out here. Um, just showing you this. This is Shrewsbury uh, Way. It's downtown Seabright up north. And this is the walkway. This is formal because the DOT required that. And then there's three properties here. And then these properties, as you recall, were owned originally by the railroad, and then when the railroad ceased to operate, they offered the property to the adjoining private property across the street. Most people bought theirs. So right here is owned by one property. This end of the street is owned by a second property owner, and this over here is a third. So what brought this up to our attention was they decided they wanted to dress up this whole area. And they uh, in fact, brought in a, uh, a uh, landscape contractor and they started to work on that. Um, in fact, Helen and uh, is right here and his wife, Janet. Um, so that's what brought this to our attention. So um, this is staying, we can't move that. But the question is, we then go straight across here 
with the pathway, or do we offset it the way it has been now? And that I don't think is, when we can do it, uh, it will be very attractive, and there's curve and there, and pushing shrubbery up and things of that nature. But, um, uh, and there are also some ADA curves that are put in. It's, uh, the easement is the main thing, if we agree with that, and we can work that out and, and present that to the property owners and uh, see if they have any pluses or minuses and then formalize this. And I'm trying to get this so we can get the thing finished in July. Get the thing that sounds done. good to me. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Just a couple questions. So what's envisioned here when it's done? Is there going to be a pathway that's actually put in place, or is this yeah. just who has ownership of the property or rights to do something? It's going to be a pathway. Um, and one of the ones we're looking at is a similar product that they used at the Anchorage Park. On the riverside, there's a, a walkway through that. It's so who's responsible for putting that pathway in? Uh, I think we would be. The town is responsible for doing it. Yes, yes. And any maintenance associated with that, we have responsibility for yes. And we have to spell that out, what, what's included. Because one of the questions that came up almost immediately was snow removal. And uh, we're not doing snow removal on the splash pad. We're not doing the public access stairs. So we don't believe we're doing snow removal here either. But periodically, you know, we should then do a walk by and see if something's happened. Yeah. I mean, with, with, the per with the picture you provided, to me, it makes perfect sense to do this. Does this create a precedence that now we have maybe a number of nine other people that say, oh, that's great, we want the town to do it nine other places? Well, there's a list of, uh, of uh, current in place now. Do you know how many cases that would be? You know, this, one, this one just happens to be right across the way from a public access point yeah. for the beach. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, we don't, I, I, up on the north end, I think we only have three others. Yeah, and that was that that was the primary the reason people were using that because that, that is the public access point. I see. So the, there are a, a number of them where the, the walkway is for customers. The beach club, they have their patrons and they have a parking lot on the riverside and there's a walkway for them. Uh, the crosswalk. Crosswalk for them. Um, so they 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 already have a formal walkway across uh, to their property. Yeah. Of course, and the same with the restaurant. There's a restaurant yeah. and there's a condominium complex that has a walkway. Those are not, we can't, the public can still use them, but it's very unusual if you take uh, the number of people. Well, it's not, it's, it's not so much a crosswalk that's the issue. It's the, it's the it's the public access to the beach that that's what that's what caused that pathway yeah. because they were coming across the crosswalk which is natural yeah. to get across ocean avenue and then the public access point was right there so they yeah. just kind of were walking through the the yeah. property there whereas some of the other ones they're they're offset by quite a bit where there's a crosswalk it might be 100 yards this way and then yeah. the public access point is here this one just happens to be directly across from the crosswalk it, it is natural to expect that any formal crosswalk put in by DOT is going to have foot traffic. Yeah. And on the other side of that, you have to be able to get to the splash pad. Right. So my only question is, sounds like a great idea, but are we setting up a situation that we have X more of these, do we know what X is and we're comfortable with it? Because I would, if I was a homeowner and half a block down, not, half a mile down, 
I would say that looks great, nice job, I would like the same thing. And it's probably the right thing to do, I just want to know how many of those things we have. Well, we're only, we're only considering these where there is a DOT. Okay, how many? Is it two, seven? Um, well, the public access points that we have are uh, ten. crosswalk, ten. connection to a crosswalk. Right. But uh, in North Beach, is the main one we're focusing on, four. four. Okay. That is uh, not connected to a business operation. This, this what came up here, the residents who live in that area come out on Shrewsbury Way, and that's why the DOT said, okay, that's legitimate to put a crosswalk in here. So there are four? Yeah, and then there's uh, one is not too far from this one, but uh, uh, there's an open question what's going to happen at the extreme north end of the new condo complex there at the foot of the bridge. They put up a new deck going over the seawall. Are they going to come and say we have 20 some odd units with a DOT approved crosswalk there? So there, there, will, there may be additions to this. Yeah, there are only, there are only two other crosswalks that are. Uh, actually, three, but most, but all the other crosswalks. No, I'm sorry, four. Yeah. But all of them go across, but they don't, they don't, they don't dead end to the splash pad with a public unique. access. You know, they don't have a hard number on it. It's they go, they go across Ocean Avenue, but there's not a epidemic of beach access. This is the only one that has that beach access. I have not yet got the estimate to put in a, 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 a similar. If you look at Anchorage Park. You look at the trail that goes through there. It's a gravel that has a special mix. So that after it says, he's only available until 10 30. Walk on oh, okay. and ride a bike. Well, let's jump over. But it's not poured concrete or anything of that nature. So these, um, I'll get the estimate maybe even later today. Pass that on to you. So it's day. about 50, 50, sort of 55 feet, 50 feet, and approximately 5 feet wide. And, uh, and the property owners can do things on either side of it. They want to put them up there and plantings and that sort of thing. And, uh, Sounds nice. Yeah, thanks for working on it, Jack. Well, Sounds it, good it's, to me. Uh, I think it, it, it will look nice, especially where the people that are working on the street right away. That helps with public access. Very nice, very yeah. slope from the driveway and the plantings. Sure. And it's uh, safe, too. Thanks again, Jack. But I'll get you the, uh, the actual estimates to put this in. Jim, I think the next one is an ordinance with a small wireless. Yeah, we, we just re re received an updated small wireless ordinance. Uh, it's probably incumbent upon us to pass one now. I think it's becoming more and more uh, popular. We need to, as, uh, as Greg explained, we really need to get control over it so we control the, the placement of these and where they go in, in, in Seabright rather than the telecommunications operators. Um, there's a revised one. I know Raj Rich was working on the older one. We sent this over to him. I don't know what's different about it. It's not a red line copy, I don't believe, from our previous yeah, one. I can't tell you what the difference is. I haven't looked at it. So uh, we probably ought to get on that because there's more and more banter about placing them. You worked on that for the longest time. I think it's time we uh, put one in place so we control where they go. So there's co-location. So each company doesn't have their own poles here that, you yeah, know. we don't need a thousand little toothpicks all over the beach here. Right. right. There's so also some things you can control with the spacing of the poles. Plus. And, and one pole, and like I explained, overall map of the town before they put the first pole. So I'll send you there's like three or four conditions that we can add into these that they can't fight. And it kind of helps the borough quite a bit. 
we have to, we, one of the things that we have to ensure, and we got kind of bit in the ass with the, uh, the cell tower, is that we have to ensure that they can co-locate. And they have to basically, so whoever's first on the map, they have to make sure that the other carriers can also fit on their, on, on whatever they put in place, because they said they did that for the, for, for the uh, cell tower, and then they came back and like, oh no, well we can't fit in that space. Uh, we got to add to it. We got to build on. We got to go higher. We got to go wider. Blah 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 blah. So we want to make sure that that's in there, and that they are actually signing something and not shaking our hand and going, "Yeah, no, no, we'll take care of that." You know? I agree. That's that's certainly a problem. Yeah. Because the first guy's going to come in and put it in the height he wants. Everything below it is not as optimal. So the next guy's going to say, "Well, I need more poles if I have to get that elevation." Exactly. So we got to make sure the first guy is where it should be plus a little. Okay, thanks. Joe, I had mentioned, I did read the ordinance, and, and my concern with this is those of us that drive around and see repeaters all over the place know they're very unattractive. They tend to be sitting on roofs of houses, water towers, stuff like that. And my hope is that's not what we're talking about here. What? Because when you look at the volume that's specified in this ordinance, the thing could be 12 foot tall. We had spoken to, we had spoken to Verizon a while back, and we had actually, we had called Verizon in because they started putting poles in people's backyards um, and we we're like whoa, whoa, whoa what are you guys doing so um, we talked to them and they've been doing it uh, I think Belmar has it um, and a couple other ones where they they actually incorporate them into a light pole uh, and we had spoken to Verizon originally for this 5g program because they wanted to put them on Ocean Avenue uh, a lot of them on the north end and I think it's like every hundred 150 feet or something like that so we, we we had spoken to them all if you're going to do it let's in incorporate a light pole into it and put it on the splash pad so that we had some lights along the splash pad and, that, and they were they were agreeable to that um but then it just died on the vine um and okay. yeah so that was one of the things but and then you know and i've seen a few of them going in like um deals got a bunch of them going in right now and they're they're basically a light pole but it's quite you know it's probably about two foot diameter at the base um and that's about maybe eight feet high and then it's a typical light pole from there on up um but they're yeah they're, they're they aren't they aren't a skinny little telephone pole they're yeah. quite cumbersome yeah my only point is if we're getting close to proving something it sounds like we're going to do something soon well i th it, i think it's timely we we've been uh, we've been living without it for a while and we just want to take preemptive action so that someone can't come in and with an application to the, you know, and just start putting them in. So yeah, my, my, only, my only point is if we approve what was provided to us, right, I think unsightly telephone poles are a big enough problem in this town, especially on the north side of town. And the volume that's specified in here is the size of the inside of the refrigerator, that they could go up to that size, 25 cubic feet. It could be 12 by 2 by 1. We can't have stuff like that hanging on our poles to make them look even worse than they are now. And I'm me, not saying that's what they're planning on doing. We just have to protect against that. I'll find out if that's uh, right. industry standard or it's just a number they put in there. And I have seen the ones, Brian, that you're, Kevin, that you're talking about. They, they look like really thick fire yeah. hydrants. Yes. Yeah. Fire exactly. Hydrants, right? Which, by the way, is better looking than our telephone poles. But I just want to make sure we don't... They're stainless, big stainless steel yeah, poles. Prove something, and all of a sudden we've got antennas all over the place because our town is beautiful. We want to keep it that way. Right. Aren't they coming anyway? The 5G is going to have to be deployed. Well, so yeah, if the federal government's going to basically you want to just ensure that it gets done. Control of what yes. Aesthetic. And I could invite someone, that, you know, on our side that could come and talk to those kind of points. But let me get the answer to the first one. Yeah. I mean, well, what Greg suggested, 
he already has some uh, some brokerage. Yeah. Some yeah. yeah. The big the, the big thing is these things these five G especially the five G things they they have to be a lot closer together than four G and three G towers are because they're small nodes. I'll do a resolution. I think it's like 150 feet or something like that. Can you pull me one? Yeah. So legislation before. So if they're only putting. Yeah, it's like 100 feet or something. They want it at 100 feet. Yeah, I, I think that's that's 900. We'll get that on next week's agenda. So, but the thing is, like, if one pole goes in and then a, for, with the same company and they're putting them every 150 feet, then and they can only put one on there, then the next company is going to put in and 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 basically split the difference, and you're going to have them every 75 feet then. And then the third one comes in and they're going to split the difference. <laughs> it's going to get ridiculous. That's why I think when I spoke earlier that one of the requirements that we can put in this ordinance is the first company or all the companies have to give us a layout of the whole town to service the town where the poles are. And then we can discuss why they have to be at those locations and then we can look at the height to make sure that that's going to be okay now. Because if you do it one utility at a time, that's what we're going to end up with all those. Well, one of the, and, and one of the things I keep stressing is the same, that we have to make sure that... We have to make sure that they can co-locate. Just because they tell us they can co-locate doesn't mean the other company can actually fit in that space. I'm going to talk to some of the other companies and ask yeah. them what's the minimum they would be in town. Right. Sorry, guys, we have to try to move okay. along. Yeah, 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 sorry. All right. So we have a listed four upcoming resolutions. You can expect the fifth one. We're going to add one regarding school regionalization. A few more? Okay. Well, the one in particular is just so that you know the school regionalization. We're going to just modify. We pass a resolution to petition the states, we're going to do a slight modification of that, so keep an eye on that too. Okay, um, let's move on to executive session then, and as is often the case, we're not going to take any action afterwards, so it's the end of the public portion. Thanks for coming out, guys. And uh, with that being said, would anybody can make a motion to enter into closed session? So moved. Second. All right, Council Members Bieber? Yes. Birdsall? Yes. Booker? Yes. Catalano? Yes. Keeler? And Lami. Yes. All right. Thanks again for coming out.